0: Welcome to New Books in Russian and Eurasian Studies, a channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Joy Neumeyer. For all the talk in the American media about the Trump campaign's possible collusion with Russia, what's rarely heard is the voices of Russians themselves. Our guest today is Larry Boguslaw, the editor of Russians on Trump, Coverage and Commentary, published by Eastview Press. The book traces how Russian reporters and analysts have written about Trump from the late 90s to today, and compares Russian and American perceptions. Larry, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining
1: us. Thank you so much, Joy, for having me on.
0: So before we get into the meat of the book, I was hoping you could start us off by talking a bit about the Russian media landscape as a whole and what kinds of outlets are featured in your book in particular.
1: Yes, of course. And my comments on the media come, um, come from a particular perspective. Um, my regular job is to, uh, is to work on a team of translators and editors who uh, produce a digest of russian news uh pretty much every week and there are selected publications uh within that so i can't claim to represent or to know about the entire russian media landscape but i will give a rundown of uh of the sources that we use in the digest and also a slightly expanded version of the ones that are used in the book so um first of all are the uh the official um presses um of which we normally, in the weekly digest, uh, which is also published by Eastview, uh, we do not use these directly, although we, uh, we sometimes use quotes from them. And these would be um, the Itar Task Daily, uh, where a lot of um, official commentary by, uh, by Putin's uh, spokesman, Pisco, for example, are published. And also the, uh, the journal International Affairs. Um, which is uh, published in Russian as uh, and that's an official organ of the um the Russian Foreign Ministry. Um but uh what we do use in the weekly digest are um publications that are pro-government close to the government but not but are not official um mouthpieces uh but many of the points of view are um you know are in line with those of the Kremlin so those would be Izvestia, um, gazeta, and we also have um, an article on the Trump book from Russia and Global Affairs, which is a uh, which is a thicker journal that's um, that's edited by um, political analyst uh, Fyodor Lukyanov. And then there are um, a few middle of the road publications uh, like Kommersant, um you know, more uh, more business economic uh, coverage. There's the Moscow Times, which is published in English, uh, but it's based in Moscow, and there's Nizhnevskaya Gazeta, which is one of uh, the first that um, one of the first independent newspapers that came out uh, at the around the fall of the Soviet Union, and it, and is now more of a middle of the road paper, and we also have um, independent slash opposition newspapers that are um, not supported by the Kremlin but I would I would say tolerated <laughs> uh by the Kremlin which would, which would be uh, Novea Novaya Gazeta which does some you know some wonderful muckraking reporting sometimes and they have some some great commentators like Yulia Latinina. uh there's there's the independent uh RBC Daily uh which I think is still run by the Prokhorov uh, family there's um republic.ru which started out as sloan.ru and changed its name uh, about a year ago, um, and there's an independent one. Um, the only one not based in Russia is Meduza, uh which is based in Riga, and uh, we just couldn't resist asking them for permission to put in just one short piece. Um, uh, yeah, from last year, and uh, notably, the the New Times, which is uh, which is a wonderful publication um, run by Yevgenia Albats um, for. For various reasons, we could not get permission to um, to use any of their material, uh, which would have been really nice because they have some um, some great interviews in there. And besides that, we have we have a few sort of what I would call fringe publications, um, which are um, uh, most of these actually, well, there are, there are a range of opinions. One is the Strategic Culture Foundation online journal, which is published in English, and we just... Um, we just you know smooth smooth out the language we check their references, etc, and that is very very pro government although it's not an official journal uh, and in another part of the spectrum is Russie, um which represents the you know this, you know, this sort of old line communist point of view sometimes agrees with the Kremlin sometimes bitterly disagrees and one that we got permission for, um especially for this publication, and they gave they gave their permission right away is a right wing newspaper called zaftre so that's that's the rundown
0: I think it's just safe to say that it's a more diverse array of viewpoints than most Americans would expect to find in the Russian media, and certainly more diverse than what's presented on state controlled television
1: It definitely is i mean most most people think that um that you you know if you say anything against putin you're you know you're going to be thrown in jail but it's it's really not true there's um there's there's a lot of there's a lot of commentary that that criticizes him that makes fun of him that draws analogies to you know many historical examples in different countries and and that just you know that's just part of the discourse
0: so when and how does Trump make his first major appearances in the russian media
1: well the first the first appearance that we have is uh is from nineteen ninety seven where he's um, uh, where he, he's making contact with a, um, um, with a Russian, uh, Russian politician at that time, uh, general Alexander Lebed, And, um, you know, so that's the, um, that's the first, that's the first mention, but it's, uh, we wanted to put that in there because, uh, because Levitt was, was later, was later called by the Russian media the um the russian pat buchanan and it just so happened that the first time that that trump tried to run for president which a lot of people don't remember anymore uh back in 2000 he was running against the real pat buchanan <laughs> so we put that article we put that article in there too mm-hmm. <laughs> just just to just to you know put put a few dots uh you know from uh from the last century to uh for people to connect um so uh he doesn't uh Trump doesn't start appearing um you know even on a yearly basis until the mid 2000s when he's trying to uh to make various real estate deals in in Russia with the um with the people who got who got rich in the 90s and now have have accumulated some influence and in property uh and he tries to um he tries to propose building various Trump towers or persuading rich Russians to invest in uh, in real estate in the U S
0: how is he portrayed in these early forays into trying to get rich rich Russians interested in Trump properties
1: with a, a mixture of admiration and skepticism <laughs> to, mm. <laughs> some, some t- sometimes within the same article. Um, so, so yes, he's a, he's a crass American uh, who's, you know, who's just trying to make deals. But on the other hand, he's uh he you know he was regarded at the time as you know as as kind of a, a self-made man and the uh and the ideal that um that some Russians could aspire to
0: what were some of the other things that he was hawking in addition to real estate
1: oh that's an interesting question i think he was trying to brand um he was trying to brand a cologne yeah i think we, besides uh besides the cologne it was it was just mainly real estate um, proposing to build real estate in various places from from Moscow to Georgia, that is the Central Asian Georgia, the Caucasus, and um, and getting uh, and trying to persuade Russians to uh, to buy real estate in America.
0: Yeah, I think at one point a a Trump branded vodka is mentioned that apparently was not very successful on the market.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you you read more carefully than I did. Yes, yeah, well, you're right.
0: A, a small historical footnote, to say the least. So to fast forward a little bit um, beyond the mid-2000s, of course, he makes an appearance in Moscow in fall 2013 to attend the Miss Universe pageant. Oh, yes. And I actually happened to be in Moscow at the time. I was working as a reporter, and I oh, saw him right, walk you were the, the, the red
1: carpet. Oh, that's right. You were there from 2010 <laughs> to 2014. <laughs>
0: Yes, yes, um, so I had the pleasure of seeing him in the flesh, and he sat in the front row for the entire uh course of the pageant, and <laughs> certainly no one at the time would have predicted that he was three years away from becoming the u s president but uh, who knew? <laughs> in your survey of the yeah yeah who could have who could have said um, in your survey of the Russian media, what kind of coverage did you find of the miss Universe pageant
1: what we what we found interesting. Most interesting about this, and and it was the uh, one of the main reasons we included it was uh, this was the um, this was a notable contact between uh, Donald Trump and Aras Agalarov and and his son Emin. Um, so there um, there were these these negotiations, you know, between uh, between Trump and Agalarov to uh, to have um, to have the Miss Universe pageant presented in Moscow. And it was, and for Agalarov, you know, he considered that a, a great coup, and he had, um, and he said that he had uh, sent his son Emine over to, over to America to meet with Trump, and they invited Trump to Russia, and uh, and every, you know, and they were very excited about that.
0: Yeah, I think he he claims at one point that he's going to build a tower in Moscow, and he, uh, he appears in a music video, right?
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, yeah, I'm so glad I'm so glad that we found that one. Um yeah, that's that's from the <laughs> Moscow Times. Yeah, after the uh, uh, a few months after the the Miss Universe pageant, um there's a, a a music video released by Amin Agalatov and um uh and in the um there's a there's a scene there where uh where uh where there's a um I'm sorry. Um, Amin finds himself in a in a swimming pool surrounded by Miss Universe contestants in bikinis, um, and this this is a fantasy he has while he's uh, while he's sitting in a boardroom meeting, and Trump seated at the head of the table, calls Amin lazy and perennially late. Eventually, closing with his trademark phrase, "You're fired." Yeah, yes, yeah, so we yeah, we found that article really fun. <laughs>
0: Probably still on YouTube if anyone wants to see it, um, <laughs> if they dare. All right. So uh, once Trump throws his hat in the ring for the presidential campaign, um, some commentators, such as the journalist Alexei Kovlyov, have emphasized a pronounced pro-Trump bias in the Russian media, especially on state television. What did you find in your surveying of Russian press treatment of the two major candidates?
1: there are some articles, you know, we, um, we decided to, uh, to divide articles from that, from that time period, the, the campaign period 2015 and 2016 into the sort of more emotional personality based articles, uh, versus the more analytical articles. Um, so, um, there are, there's, there's some articles that are just, that are just entertained by, uh, by the cast of characters. Um, you know, the business tycoon, the television personality, um, the, uh, the remark that, uh, that Trump makes, uh, early on in July, 2015, where, um, where he says that, uh, that he, and that he and Putin would, uh, would get along very, very well. And, uh, and, and some, some people were, you know, made, made much of, much of that, that, um, that trump you know final finally putin would have a friend in uh, in america um on the other hand there are some more uh there are some more sober analyses in fact you know as as soon as twenty fifteen a couple of uh a couple of analysts um even uh even bring you know seriously consider the possibility of what would a president trump look like what would america look look like under president trump um and there are other articles, of course. Um, you know, for example, by um, Konstantin Kasachov, who is uh, currently the head of the Federation Council International Affairs Committee, who um, who spends more time um, uh, criticizing Hillary Clinton than than praising Donald Trump. So there's uh, there's really a lot a lot of viewpoints out there, and and certainly Trump was not was not universally welcomed uh, in the Russian media
0: what were some of the reservations that commentators who did take him seriously have
1: well there is there is this this sense that that the whole global order would change and russian commentators in general you know political analysts analysts like to talk about the world order uh the balance of forces in the world um they're you know they're they're very much focused on on that issue and so prospect of a, of a new global order was uh, was a hopeful prospect to some and and a scary prospect to others so the ones that were um the ones that were hopeful um you know uh, argued that you know that that finally you know America putting itself first and and minding its own business would allow Russia to uh, to mind its own business in its so-called sphere of interests, which of course includes not only Russia but uh, the former Soviet Union and parts of the Middle East, etc. So, the um, this you know th- this this idea of the um, of the liberal messianism of of the West and of the U.S. in particular, um, there were commentators who were truly hopeful that that would come to an end and that and that uh, Russia's influence in the world would grow and the ones who were uh the ones who were scared about it um uh thought that that this new global order would would destroy the stability in in the world such as it such as it is um and that um and that Russia would no longer would long, no longer know who it was dealing with um you know whereas during Um, some, you know, some commentators actually look back fondly on the Cold War because, uh, because at that time they say Russia and America really knew, really knew who each other were and where they stood. And, uh, and some people sensed that, uh, that bringing Trump into this situation would, would suddenly destabilize that, that you wouldn't really know, uh, where America would stand.
0: Did Trump's incendiary statements or personal conduct get much play in the Russian press?
1: Not really. They yeah, you know, the the American press would, you know, would be shocked on a daily basis by uh, by by the insults that, that that Trump would throw left and right. And of course, there was um there was a lot of uh a lot of intermittent coverage in the US about uh about sexual harassment that was in some cases, quite well documented. There was, there were lots of lots of smart TV commentators would would fact check Trump and and find out where he had exaggerated or outright lied. And there's there's very little of that in in the Russian press. The things that you know, the things that enraged and distracted and angered uh, the American public were um uh, were not you know were hardly issues at all. Um, for the Russian press,
0: yeah, they seemed much more concerned with the prospect of him as a geopolitical actor, regardless of what he' was doing at home
1: yes yeah i, I would i would s i would say i would say you know sooner um uh, yeah well well before the the election um the, you know russian analysts were you know were looking carefully at at what what Trump stood for in terms of in terms of political stances. Economic stances, where you know the, the American media, you know, so much of that coverage was just distracted by by his flashy personality.
0: <clears throat> what did Russians think Americans thought about Trump?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, some people did have their uh, have their pulse on uh, on what Americans thought, you know, in in some uh, in some way better than. Uh, better than most Americans did at the time, um, is they, um, for example, they recognized that uh, that the that the rural part of America, the the less educated part, the blue collar part, uh, you know, people who felt themselves disenfranchised, sort of, you know, taken along for the ride of globalization. <clears throat> Losing jobs um, to you know overseas, they they recognized that there was a significant portion of the American public that um, you know whom Trump appealed to.
0: I thought it was interesting in one article I forget who it's by, but there is some discussion of Americans as being brainwashed by Fox News, and and it struck me as being not dissimilar to how some Americans <laughs> write about Russians being hypnotized by state television. Um, but yeah, does it strike you that, uh, <laughs> to some extent people just thought of this Russian commentators thought of the entire thing as a circus and Americans is not able to make good decisions?
1: Yes, that was, uh, the article you're referring to is by Vasily Gatov, um, White House and television who invented Donald Trump. Um, yes, this was, um, <laughs> yeah the uh this this was a really interesting article about uh about how how fox was um you know in, in his opinion heavily biased uh toward trump
0: was there a consensus on who would win the election
1: not at all not at all some some people were sure that um that that clinton would win it, would win it. they felt that um that there was a you know, there was a the Bushes and the Clintons were sort of dynasties uh, in in American politics, and and that there's no way that um, you know, that that anybody else could could break into that. Um, and and others were uh, others were equally sure, um, or not. I, w- I wouldn't say I wouldn't say sure, but um, but they they saw good reason to think that Trump might win the election especially as uh as allegations about about Clinton's emails uh, surfaced in July of 2016.
0: All right, so when the the not entirely predicted does happen and Trump is elected, in the American media celebrations of Trump's victory in Russia got a lot of play, in particular um the ultra-nationalist journalists popping of champagne <laughs> in the Duma. Yes. Um but what were the what were the range of reactions to Trump's election that you observed? Was it universal yes. rejoicing or <laughs> were there other elements?
1: Well when you um uh if if you look at the beginning of the of the section on, on that of, of reactions, you would uh you uh you might expect that that yeah, you know, that that everything will be like this. In fact I, I even I even thought that myself when you know when we were starting to uh select material for the book. Um, you know, for example, there's a Moscow Times article where um, where there's an election watching party happening in a Moscow bar. Um, and, uh, and it begins, Trump, Trump, Trump! The crowd chanted, raising their whiskey-filled glasses. The group of men then turned back to watch the first exit polls from the U.S. presidential election roll in on CNN. It would have been an ordinary scene in Cleveland, Ohio, or Jackson, Mississippi, but this venue was central Moscow, and the bar was filled with Russians, not Americans. Uh, and then uh, people who were in that bar are are interviewed, and you get some uh, some sound bites from them. Um, uh, one of the people in that bar uh, that night was uh, Kirill Benediktov, who was a political analyst, and uh, he wrote uh, a, a book called Black Swan, a political biography of Trump, and he deliberately um, rushed ahead to uh, to re- uh, to release it. Bef- just days before the election happened, um, because he felt very strongly, you know, he was he was maybe the only one who felt really strongly that uh, that that Trump would win, and so he that that was real a real scoop for him to to have uh yeah you know, to have pre- presciently focused on on the rise of Trump, uh, and there's a uh, there's also an article from Zaftra, that right wing newspaper that I mentioned earlier. Um, that's called hey trump come on over uh that you know rejoices in how uh in how trump outplayed hillary clinton and um and talking about the america of f scott fitzgerald faulkner vonnegut um the america of those strong simple-hearted lads with crew cuts who sat behind the wheels of flying fortresses and bombed nazi breeding grounds in europe to the tunes of glenn miller so yes there's um there's some there's some wonderful hype on that side. Um and then on the other hand, there are um there's an article by Kirill Martinov, um uh in uh in Nova Gazeta, that's one of the uh, one of the opposition leaning publications, uh called Four Years for White Men. Um and uh Russians are not known for their um their gender neutrality or equality i don't know if you've experienced it um you know being on the ground in moscow but uh but martinev is uh is is one of the ones who you know who laments um this uh this conservative trend taking over and and uh and really seems um really seems that that given the choice to elect a woman as a national leader for the first time in history um uh, americans were um uh, were decided instead to vote for to vote for a man, even though he was disliked by so many people. Um, and um, and even more than that, um, there's a there's an article by by Mikhail Fischman, who's the editor in chief of Moscow Times, um, who who writes the hope for change in Russia has just been buried. In the voting booths of Florida, Michigan, and North Carolina, so some people feel quite dismal about uh, about the election, uh, the election of Trump.
0: Mm. In terms of the fate of Russian politics,
1: yes, yes, because a lot, a lot of this, a lot of the articles here are, are about well, how this, how will this affect Russia? Um, it you know it it often it often comes around to that. So. Um, so um political circles had, had begun anticipating a new thaw with um um you know with, with the new American election, but um but in, in Fishman's view, the new Trump world is is going to be a global mess. And this you know this is the sort of reverse side of the coin of the similarities that some that some commentators picked out early on between Putin and Trump. So um so uh the view of Fishman and some others is that uh now that now that the sort of maverick is is on the stage in America who is you know who's unpredictable he's he's belligerent uh, this this mirror of putin will in a way give putin permission to uh to do more of the belligerent and repressive things that uh that he has been doing over the last several years
0: yeah it seems like to a certain extent one's feelings about Trump depends on depend on one's feelings about Putin.
1: Yes, yeah, that that is that is a good point. And uh and Mark Mark Gagliotti writes in the foreword that that um that Trump is sort of is sort of a a, a vessel in which uh, a vessel or a, or a mirror for for people's own feelings about about their own country, about their leader, you know, about um uh, you know, Russian Russians view of Putin and about the world order in general they they sort of project their hopes and aspirations and fantasies onto this figure of Trump Gaeati actually calls him protean uh, in that he can he can transform in an in instant you know the the range of Trump tweets that will come out in a day or in a week is just uh, this it's dizzying uh, and so um He's, he's such a changeable figure that, um, that, that, um, that you know, the Russians in a way uh, did – they conjured up their own image of, of what a world with Trump would look like.
0: To turn to the question of Russian ties, when does the first coverage of the Trump campaign's contact with Russians or Russia-affiliated figures begin?
1: That is, that is a good question. And we had we actually had to uh, to go back to some coverage that that was not covered in the weekly digests um, because uh, we just you know the selectors in um, in Moscow and and on stateside just didn't realize that it would be relevant at the time so so we went back and and translated some new material um, for for this that is new old material. Um, so June 22nd, 2016, uh, this is something that we did not cover at the time. It just didn't seem that consequential. Um, there's an article called Trump Changes Horses. Um, and this was about uh, Donald Trump during his candidacy firing his campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski, and hiring this new guy, Paul Manafort, uh, who we calls a conservative and fairly well-regarded political consultant. Albeit with a somewhat controversial reputation in local circles, for instance, he was once an advisor to ex-president of Ukraine Viktor Yanukovych. Um, so, yeah, you know, so the figure of the figure of Manafort and the fact that he does have these uh, these prior ties to um, uh, to Ukraine, not only um, not only Yanukovych, but um, but the oligarch Oleg Dzeripaska, uh that. That gets uh, that definitely gets attention and more attention in the Russian press than it did uh, in the American press at the time. And another, um, there's another more muckraking article from Novaya Gazeta called "Republican Party of Regions," um, and this is a, a longer, more detailed article that um, that really looks into um, Manafort's background and and talks about. Um, is uh, working for international clients as infamous as guerrilla leader Jonas Savimbi of Angola, President Mobutu Sese Seko of Zaire, and President Marcos of the Philippines. So, um, yeah, so Manafort definitely gets, uh, gets his due of, of attention during the summer of 2016.
0: What about the meeting in New York between Jared Kushner and Donald Trump Jr. and a Russian lawyer at Trump Tower?
1: That was not covered at the time. Um, and that, so that one does not come up until, until coverage in 2017, the, the lawyer who is who is involved in that meeting, Vysidnitska was, um, you know, uh, was quite adamant that at the time that, um, that she was only there, you know, to, um, uh, you know, to, to consult on a legal case, um, you know, between, uh, between her and, um, um, and Bill Browder. Uh, a um, um a, you know a west a western uh millionaire so um but we did um, uh we don't have we don't have russian coverage per se of the of the contradictory nature of vyselnytskye statements but um but we do have uh we do have some some citations in the uh, in the back of the book you know with the benefit of hindsight that that shows up some inconsistency there and the same the same the same goes for um Russian ambassador sergei kislyak um with their um his his contacts with um uh with michael Flynn, uh who who ended up being um uh, he he was trump's foreign policy advisor during the campaign and ended up being briefly his national security advisor after he got elected. Um, there's, there's a lot of attention to those contacts too. And there's some, uh, there's some official, um, uh, official line here from, from Tas And, um, and then there's, um, there's a, a brief interview with Kislyak, uh, where he, you know, where he says that he, that he did nothing out of the ordinary. Um,
0: what does the coverage so, of the Democratic uh, National Committee so here, email hacks, perhaps the greatest scandal uh, of all,
1: look like? The Russian press is not uh, is not going after. It's it's not. It's definitely not being as alarmist as the American press uh, was at the time and and still is. And we're seeing more you know more of, more of the official line that that even the opposition publications are not going out of their way to contradict that is really an interesting case on the one hand there is there is pretty much outright acknowledgement that that russia was behind the hacking and not just ordinary russians but um but that there were orders from the top um in fact there's a there's a great article by um uh, by yulia latinina in in novia gazeta um you know who certainly doesn't um um, you know, her, she's very much an independent thinker. Uh, and, and she says that, uh, she says that it was that, that, you know, that curiously these, these hackers, cozy bear and fancy bear never, how did she put it? They, they never, uh, their goals were remarkably altruistic and that they, (laughs) and that unlike other hackers, they didn't, they didn't try to go after economic targets. Uh, they didn't try to, uh, they didn't try to disrupt, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the, the sales or invoice, uh, processing systems of any big companies. Um, they were only going after political targets and they would always, um, they would always sign on at, at about nine in the morning, Moscow time and and sign off at five o'clock and they would take off all of the holidays that, um, all, all the official Russian holidays. So you know, so so you know, commentators knew that the Russian trail was there. But uh, but what is so interesting is that uh not only the um uh the official um, Kremlin spokespeople uh, or the foreign ministry spokespeople uh but also um also rather uh rather independent minded um analysts like Vladimir Frolov you know who who writes often for Republic. Um, said, you know they they said you know this kind this kind of espionage has been going on for a long time. It's been going on for decades, even before the technology of the of the internet existed. There were always spies who you know, who were trying to get into the uh, the the personal business and the personal files of uh, of people on the other side and that it, and that it's been going on with you know Americans infiltrating Russia and Soviets and Russians infiltrating America that it really is not such a big deal. And that's that's a, an interesting perspective um and it's not um and I don't think it's a cynical one either. It's a it's one that's uh you know that that's founded on on historical analysis. So, you know, so so overall the you know the whole the whole hacking scandal is uh you know is is really the way it's the way the russian press responds to that um and they are mainly responding to you know t- to coverage that's uh that's dug up by the american press the way they respond to that it's not a scandal at all on on the russian side and uh and it's not a scandal for um for russian trump supporters or uh or russian trump opponents um you know pretty pretty much across the board It is is something that's just seen as, you know, this is what, this is what intelligence does.
0: Overall, would you say that there's a perception in the Russian media that, you know, any of these ties to Russians are significant? Um, Is is meddling uh, sort of perceived as a real issue?
1: Well, it's, it's perceived as an issue in that um, it's perceived as an issue in that it affects trust. Uh, between between the two countries. So, uh, for example, in the um, in the epilogue of the book, there's um, uh, there's an article called "A Generation Raised on Meddling," and this is by Alexander Gabuyev, who's affiliated with the Carnegie uh, Moscow Center. Um, he, you know, his his concern. Is that, um, as he says, the U.S. foreign policy elite are currently in the midst of a generational shift. Um, the professionals who grew up during the Cold War are being replaced with new people who are mostly under fifty. Um, this new generation started filling mid-level bureaucratic positions, um, you know, during the Bush and Obama eras. He, you know, he says that um, that you know these these people don't remember when um, when Russia was a prime concern of. Uh, of of America, um, and he says it doesn't. Uh, and so they're they're unused to it, and they and they get um, they get nervous too easily. He says it doesn't really matter whether Russian intelligence services did meddle in the 2016 presidential campaign, uh, whether it was their goal to put uh, Donald Trump in the White House. What matters is that to the new generation of the U.S. foreign policy establishment, Russia is a foreign power that seriously interfered. In the democratic process in their country and help bring to power a person who will de- destabilize the foundations of the country they love over the next few years um, so um, he says that some uh, some American diplomats now think that Russia has robbed them of the best part of their lives, so it 's not the not the meddling itself but but the perception of meddling and so Gabuev is very concerned that that the alarmism that's been peddled in the american press has you know has sort of has sort of infected um diplomats who should be above that and that there's um uh and that there's going to be a new a new form of paranoia that uh, that dominates russian american relations
0: mm-hmm yeah, it felt quite prophetic to me
1: um hmm yes
0: So to talk a bit about policy, once Trump comes into office, despite reservations about his unpredictability and various other X factors, there seems to be a fair amount of optimism that he'll reduce American commitments abroad and generally be more pragmatic in his approach towards Russia and maybe play ball with Putin. What happens to these fairly optimistic expectations over the course of his first several months in office?
1: Yeah, that's a great question um the the russians for example are very optimistic when trump talks about uh about how how nato countries in europe should pay their fair share for you know for common defense and um uh and at one point he um he calls nato obsolete that's early in his presidency of course a few weeks later he takes that back you know as 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 um a number of there've been a number of flip-flops so um overall there's this trajectory um as as you said that starts starts out with optimism but then uh you know one one decision after another starts uh starts being made um yeah you know, despite trump's wishes you know um america continues to support nato um America continues to uh, to make statements against Russia. The you know just before Trump's inauguration, um, the um, the three main American intelligence agencies come out with their um, with their hacking report, you know their their intelligence report that said it was that it was you know, either fairly likely or highly likely that um, that Russia meddled in the election, and uh, and Trump gets gets put in this position of, uh, of, um, you know, he's, he's in this double bind now where if he continues making friendly overtures to Russia, he is, um, he would be tacitly acknowledging and expressing gratitude for, for Russia's alleged, uh, support of him in the election. Um, on the other hand, if he, um, if he speaks out against Russia, then he just uh, shows himself to be part of the Washington swamp that he promised to drain um so you know so what what we see you know going going through the the spring and the summer um is that uh is that one one American policy after another starts starts turning against russia and of course this culminates in the uh, in august twenty seventeen when um when the countering americas adversaries uh bill comes out where um where russia is is a explicitly called an adversary of america and um and new sanctions are imposed against it and on uh, trump's 194th day in the white house he he signs that uh that bill which has gotten overwhelming support in both uh, in both the House and the Senate. So then, um, uh, before that point, some Russian commentators said, "Well, Trump is speaking out against Russia because, you know, because that's that's the only way that he can get along with the Washington establishment. You know, he's he really is still on our side, but um, but he's but he's got to try to hard, try try so hard to please those." those globalists and anti-Russianists over there that, you know, he's got to do what he has to do. But once that sanctions bill gets signed, that's really a turning point in, in people's attitudes uh, toward toward Trump. Even if some people still think that, that Trump is just kind of enmeshed in the system, um, they, uh, they still think that, you know, they still feel very, very disillusioned that instead of this new global order, um, you know, uh, coming in, when when trump was elected um russian american relations are still uh, are still in the same state of of distrust and rancor that they were under the obama administration
0: overall how would you compare russian coverage of trump as president to the american media's coverage of trump
1: well the um the russians the you know the russian commentators started started taking him seriously as a foreign policy actor before the American press did. So, um, the American press is, you know, especially the liberal press repeatedly called into question Trump's qualifications and, and those of his team. Um, you know, he's, he's selecting loose cannons. He's selecting incompetent people. He's selecting people who can't be trusted. He's, uh, He's, he's morally um, he's morally questionable, and his whole team is morally questionable. So there's there's this, this subtext of qualifications that um, that the that the Russian press is not focused on. What you know what they're focused on is okay. What what is he saying? What are the um, if if these policies that he's talking about come to pass, then what's going to happen in the world? What does this mean for us? so they really um they really focus in on policy earlier than um than american commentators did in fact i um shortly after the election i i read in, in the american press and i can't remember who uh, who the writer was um but um uh, but the commentator said that the the big mistake in the in the whole the whole conduct of the of the Trump campaign was that uh, was that his Democratic opponents did not did not focus on policy, but focused instead on personality, and would rise to the bait of, of all of these personal jives, you know, lying Hillary, um, uh, you know, reacting reacting to his bluster, rather than than saying okay. Mr. Trump, you know, you you say that uh, uh, you, you know you say that that NATO should pay its fair share. What if they can't pay their fair share? Should you know should NATO troops be rolled back in Eastern Europe and from the Russian border? And these you know these are things that the Russian press was seriously considering. Um, but that that sort of dialogue in the in the American press um, you know, didn't happen a whole lot.
0: Yeah, Russians seem much less focused on the question of his character or lack or lack thereof.
1: Yes, exactly, exactly. It's not, it, yeah, it's not, it's not a question of, um, uh, you know, the the issue of of moral fiber that, um, that that Americans have sometimes asked of their of, of their president, um, and and Obama was a great example, um, you know, to to have to, you know to have a leader that that they could sort of that they could sort of look up to. Um, morally and intellectually that's you know th- that's not an issue in in the Ameri- in the russian press you know in the the russian press you know pres- presidency is about is about electoral support and it's about political power
0: Based on your reading of the Russian media, what would you say is the greatest misconception regarding Russians' attitudes towards Trump or towards America under a Trump presidency?
1: Let me make sure I'm understanding that question uh, correctly. The the greatest mi- misconception that that Americans have about 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 about, Ru- about Russian uh, about Russian perceptions of Trump is that is that what you're asking? That Americans
0: have right exactly. Um,
1: I think that unfortunately the whole uh the whole issue of the of the Russian meddling has has taken such a such a center stage in in the American press's views of Russia that that America is really not even thinking anymore about uh about what about what Russians think. <laughs> yeah, so it, in in other in other words, um uh I don't know if if America gives Russians credit for thinking, you know, because the you know because cause the story you know the, the dominant story is that that uh you know Putin and the Kremlin put you know put these hackers um you know put these hackers up to their work they um and now it turns out that they that they sent a uh, a handful of 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 Russian spies to uh you know to um uh, you know, to secretly observe what was going on in the, in the, in the election process. And they, and they have these trolls who are putting up, um, you know, pro pro Trump messages and buying Facebook ads. And, and it's all, it's all orchestrated by, um, by the Kremlin. And so there's, uh, and so there's no, um, uh, there's no room for thinking about, what ordinary russians might think about that or even you know even russian you know intellectuals writers commentators uh whereas as um you know i think that the main um uh, the book's main potential contribution to to that perception is that is that yes russians do think for themselves and there is actually quite a variety of of opinions about trump and those opinions have changed they've changed radically um you know from from the pre-election time you know the campaign the early months of the presidency you know to to the present point
0: Well Larry thank you so much for giving us an overview of the book we're about out of time but before we leave you please tell us what you're working on now
1: Well what I hope will be my uh next publication is uh is a collection of poetry I um I've been translating uh, Russian poetry for uh for some years now and when I was in graduate school actually that was my specialization um was was Russian poetry so i um a, f- a few years back i i won an international competition of of Russian to English poetry and yes they, they, a couple of them actually do exist and through through that competition i i met a a poet who read some of his work um, at at the award ceremony and i um, when I heard him read his work, I thought, oh my gosh, that's gonna be impossible to translate. Um and yet I thought, I have to give it a try. You know, so uh so a few months later I um I s I sent him you know my my attempt at translating this poem and he said, would you like to translate the whole collection? So I've been working on that, you know, off off and on the last few years, and um and I'm getting um I've I've drafted translations of uh, of all of them and hopefully um we'll be able to To convince a press to publish them,
0: that's great. And who is the poet?
1: In in English, (laughs) right. His name is Alexander Alexander Weitzman. He's a um, he's he's an an emigre um, from uh, from Russia. Who's um, he's he's quite young, but he's just old enough to uh, to remember what life was like in the Soviet Union, and he's extremely well read and has these wonderful. um, He makes these wonderful references to. Uh, to Russian culture, literature, poetry, and it's uh, just a, a very rich experience to to read and to attempt to translate uh, his work.
0: It sounds like a refreshing contrast to working with mass media. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it is, but it, it's it's all great fun.
0: Yeah, <laughs> right, Larry. Thanks so much again for speaking with us today, and to our listeners for joining us for this podcast on new books in Russian and Eurasian
1: studies. Thank you, Joy. I'm so grateful that you uh, that you're doing this podcast.